1: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we have the return of an abuse survivor named Layla, and Layla was dealing with a manipulating parental alienator. It's a story of addiction, financial abuse, mental health, and custody. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have the return of Layla. How are you?
0: I'm good, Chad.
1: And for those that don't know you, you were on our show on July 19th, 2019. We've known each other now for uh, four years now. And I'll leave the link to your episode in our show notes. And uh, for those that don't know your story, you were in a relationship with a police officer who became physically abusive and you had to flee North Carolina for Florida with your son. And the police officer eventually only got a slap on the wrist from the police department. While well, you've had trauma-related issues ever since. However, today... As part of your story, we will not be discussing really the police officer that much because you've had other issues that were going on with your previous relationship to the police officer. And that person is the father of your child. And we're going to be discussing custody and parental alienation from that relationship and the father of your son and you weren't really aware of what type of person this ex was until the events that we are going to be talking about today really started to unfold. So before we get to the custody things, what is going on with you and what is going on with your child as they are a huge part of this story? Um, oh
0: my gosh, it's just, I'm trying to think even where I want to start i'm thinking the timeline of the demise so my son is now 15 years old he's in a residential rehab facility um he's doing a lot better he's been in rehab for 7 months he actually gets out this week um he's doing better he is not wanting to be around his dad which is a huge shift um cuz there was a lot of parental alienation and and Brenda i'm going to say it really worked for about a year and a half somehow my son's father managed to completely, uh, turn my son against me. And I am kind of identifying it. It's just so many things have happened that are so sadistic. It's incomprehensible. And I guess for me, I'm in grad school. (laughs) I'm in grad school. I'm in nurse practitioner school, master's degree program. And when it's almost a three-year program. And when I got in to school is when things got really bad and I feel like every time I'm in school, my son's father um has been some kind of custody litigation. He does it he did it when I was in nursing school, um, and now he's doing it again. But the only nice thing is that he and his spouse um can't financially abuse me like they did the first go round. I was a CNA making $10, 25 an hour working on a trauma unit. And I remember putting that custody, um, stuff, it was, I had to put it on a credit card. It was like $10,000 a year to pay off. So now I'm in a much different place financially because, um, I work at the club. I'm in a, I'm just like, it's such a socially unacceptable job being a dancer at a, a strip club. And I hate it. Um, I really do hate it. Um, but my son's father lives with his wife, his ex-wife. We're going to get into that. That goes into the parental alienation, and I need to remember to swing back on that. So he lives with his ex wife um, and his wife's parents, and then his stepdaughter and their mutual child together in a five bedroom, three bathroom house. And so you've got potentially four adults contributing to his legal funds. And I am one person. Um, so I'm trying to think. I moved to Florida. Things were going okay. Like they seemed like they were going to be okay, and I got away from a psychopath. I don't know if I should say psycho, he was a lunatic. Um, and I thought everything was going to be okay. And in 2019, so the, my my son's father lived four hours away from me. He had left our son when he was six to move to Florida. We're all from North Carolina. He's like, "Hey, I met a woman. I'm moving." And basically abandoned our child, which is a childhood trauma, by the way, according to the adverse childhood experiences. So he moved to Florida, um, barely sees our son, loses 50-50 custody because he chose to just move away for no legitimate reason. Being with a woman isn't a good reason to leave your child. Um, So I got primary custody of our child. And when I moved here, he, I moved to an area where my, my mom was, um, today I don't talk to her anymore. Um, so that's something that's been recent. And I also don't talk to my older sister anymore. And I'm just like, I'm trying to think what happened when I got here. He started wanting to see her son. We were here for about eight months and I moved to a city where my mom was. I wanted to be near family so they could help with my son because he was 12 at the time. And um, I don't like leaving him home alone when I go to work at night. So I moved to a city four hours away from dad, which was much closer than where we were. And about eight months into our move here, he started wanting to see him every other, he started wanting to see him every other weekend. And I said, okay. And then would not come get our son. So we started having little arguments about that, but no big deal. And then I remember one night I woke up, just something had woken me up. And I had a bad feeling. I'm like, oh, I've got to figure out what this is. So I get on Google, I get on the internet and I just search and search and search. And it's so funny, I come across this, the dad lives in this little, like, co town out in the country, like PSE. And in this town, whenever you get married or divorced, they publish it in the local newspaper. So I Google him and his wife's name and it took me hours. And I finally come across an article that popped with their names in it. Like it it, the, the Google search. And I had to go through, I find divorces and marriages with a page number. I go to it and I could not believe what I was seeing. The two of them got divorced. And didn't tell anyone, didn't say a word to anybody. It was like a secret divorce. And so the next day I get up super early and I drive all the way to dad's, the to dad's town four hours away and I go to the courthouse and for a dollar a page, I obtained their divorce papers and it's 31 pages long. And it was really odd. It was basically very similar to um, me and me and the dad's custody order. And so apparently they didn't even have to go to court. They went to a lawyer together, came up with a divorce agreement and filed themselves and had it filed by the courthouse and didn't tell anyone they got divorced. They're still living together. My son hasn't said, oh, dad and stepmom got divorced. No one knew, not even my son. So the really interesting part, and this is the very sadistic part, and this is the long game. My lawyer refers to the fascinating long game. So on the very last page, it says my full name, my full name, it says, Uh, can have no contact with their minor child, period. So there's no rationale. It just says that I can have no contact with their minor child. So they have this really cute little girl. She, I think, is seven now. And the only time I've really seen her is at Pick Up and Drop Off. She's super cute. Um, She's super sweet, like all little kids are. And the only real contact I've ever had with her is saying hi to her, and I would bring her little presents, like, I'd bring her clothes. Um, I got her a Doc McJuffins nursing kit one year for Christmas. So always very nice to this little girl. I've never done anything to this kid. So I learned, I guess it was last year. It was last year I learned, um, basically, they had done that and presented it to my son as a restraining order. My son was 12 when they got divorced. They show him this court document, it's all official, signed by a judge, and portray it as a restraining order that I am so dangerous that I can't be near their minor child. And then to further solidify this false narrative, they stop bringing the little girl to all pickups and drop-offs. I have not seen that little girl at pickup and drop-off since 2019. And then it gets worse. My son's father and the psychotic abusive police officer start talking to each other on the phone. And then my son's father lets my son talk to my ex on the phone. And these two grown ass men implicating my 12 year old child, and and Brendan, I never told my son um, that I was abused. Uh, We didn't have cable TV at the time, so he didn't see it on the local news station. no social media, like he was so little um, when that all happened. And I sheltered him from that. And he was never home when I was being abused, because again, cops don't abuse when there's witnesses around. Um, So my son never would have known about it. And then his dad decides to expose him to this. And my son starts to believe both of them. And he's like, oh, she, she had him falsely arrested. And he actually texted me. He's like, you're going around pretending like you're some battered woman. It's all lies. But yeah, the, he somehow managed to um, pit my son against me, make him think I made the whole thing up, um, showed him the divorce papers, presented it as a restraining order, and pretended I was dangerous. And so my son starts to become very defiant. And I call the dad for help. And so basically what, it, what it's been for the past several years is if you don't give me our son, if you don't hand him over to me, I'm not helping. Um, I had our son in a private Catholic school for three years. He liked it. Uh, I'm not Catholic, but my son loves going to Catholic school and I paid the tuition by myself. And dad wouldn't help pay for any of that, which was fine. But um, he started telling our son, you don't need to go to Catholic school. You're not Catholic. And you just don't need to be there. Public school so much better. And just kind of counterparent just the counterparenting is something that's just been constant and it's become so severe. Um, the lawyer put in the most recent motion that we are incapable of counterparent We can't co-parent at all.
1: So eventually you pull your son from private school and put him in the public school system like your ex wanted, and more signs of your ex's bad influence on your son really start to show. So walk us through this.
0: And uh, the first the first week at school, principal calls me, need to come get your son who's been drinking alcohol. And I'm just like, what the fuck? So he had stayed at his dad's house. So dad gets him three weeks in the summer. Then he comes back to me for two weeks. Then he goes back to dad again for three weeks. So apparently, um, the drinking, this is where, this is where the really bad stuff, there's a lot of really bad stuff in here. Um, our son had gone to his dad for the summer and he had just turned 13 years old. In May 1st, he turned 13. He went to his dad's in June. And unbeknownst to me, Dad, dad wanting to be Disney dad, and um, Mr. Cool Cat started, that is when he started giving our son alcohol. And again, just so incomprehensible to me that a parent would give a child alcohol and expose them to an addiction. So I don't know if this is happening. Again, he lives four hours away. We only communicate really on talking parents. And my son comes back from his visit over the summer and just something was different with him. Just something was different. I don't know any other way to describe it, just something was different. And I had my older sister babysitting him at night when I would go to work. I just don't like leaving him home alone and she, was, she would be watching him at night. And one night I came home from work and I go in my bathroom and there is vomit everywhere. And I don't know from who or what. And I go and check on my son. He's sweating. He's wet the bed. He is he is drunk. And apparently, my my sister had had Tito's at the house. Like after he would go to bed, she would drink a mixed drink and then go to bed herself. Well, my son got up and went and snuck her Tito's and got completely wasted on it. And so. I'm just saying, is this just him experimenting? Um, because, again, I don't know that dad gave him alcohol all summer. So I'm not. I'm just thinking all this is maybe teenage stuff they talk about. And so um, I, I get rid of all the alcohol in the house. Well, then he gets alcohol from a neighbor down the street. He gets fireball shots and gets drunk on the side of the house. Um, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this is like a real problem. And I end up not having my sister, my older sister end up not having her babysit anymore um, because I just don't trust her not to have alcohol in the house. And it went on for a year. The dad giving him alcohol went on for a year. And so that summer they had gone to a hotel in Orlando for vacation. And they went to the pool bar and left my son, who was, he had just turned 13. They left him And, and we've already, they left him his little sister, who was four at the time, and then the older sister, who I think was like 16, they left them alone in a hotel room while they went out gallivanting the town. And the reason I found out, because he's like, oh, don't tell your mom I'm giving you alcohol. Don't tell your mom. She babies you. She babies you. Um, And that's been like a reoccurring theme is like putting me down as a mom saying, I baby him. I do not baby him. I treat him age appropriately. But my son gets back from his dad's and his things don't seem right. And I decide to go through his little, little flip phone, cell phone. And the dad forgets to delete the messages. So basically, um, the dad, my son reaches out and he's like, where are you guys? He's like, we're at the pool bar. My son's like, can I come down? He's like, no. And he, and then the dad says, you better keep your shit together. Like just the way he talks to our son is so inappropriate. He says, you better keep your shit together. And my son writes that. I didn't drink the drink yet, so I'm fine. And I my son has no GI issues, he has no allergies. There's literally no drink that he would be drinking that would make him not fine other than, than alcohol. So that's actually in the motion too, is the actual exhibit of that that communication. And that's when we can date the start of the dad giving him
1: alcohol. So on top of the alienation issues, you are now in court. Uh, what is your ex trying to get from you, and what do you think his motivations are?
0: Basically, he has financially abused me for four years. So that was another thing. During COVID, I'm working at the hospital. It is a shit show. Um, really depressing, seeing people dying. Um, just really hard on nurses at that time. And He decides to stop. He he decides to either stop paying child support or he self-reduced it. So either I would get child, he would go three months without child support, four months without child support. When he did pay, it was like four hundred dollars. Um, and then he stopped paying half of insurance, and he wanting full custody of our child. And I really just think it's monetarily motivated because he really wasn't seeing our son more with us in Florida than he did when our son was all the way in North Carolina. Um, so like doesn't, he hasn't been to a school meeting in a decade. He doesn't ever take our son to the doctor. Like it just doesn't make sense why you would want custody when you're not involved. I mean, I sent him a report card and he writes me back. Why does it say fifth grade? Like did not even know what grade our child was in. Um, he wants full custody and one of the things he's using against me. Um, And he is, so I won a recent case. It was about two and a half months ago we went to court. So the, the order in which the motions were filed is the order in which they have to be heard. I don't really give a shit about child support right now. My goal is like custody. This is like emergent. Um, child support, I would have been fine dealing with that much later on, but unfortunately it goes in order. And so we had a recent case. He had actually gone up into that case. He had gone 13 months without sending me any child support. He stopped helping with all... He hasn't paid medical insurance in years. um, So really severe financial abuse by the time we get to court. And he owes me $22,000. And that's not even including the insurance. That's just the child support. And our son by this point is sick. He has a lot of mental health. He goes to the, um, to the counselor. It's a hundred dollars every time he goes. I mean, I'm talking like six to $800 a month is spent in mental health bills alone and I'm paying them by myself. And I want to mention also the dad refusing to consent to medical care. Um, and I haven't been letting him see him now that I know all these things. Right? I know we say like, Ooh, parental alienation, but when there's abuse involved, it's not parental alienation. Like I'm protecting my child, but he's wanting full custody and he's using my stripping job against me. Um, he put some really nasty things in his motion that's like now looming around in a courthouse. Um, he's saying that me working as a dancer is detrimental to our son's mental health and basically told our son how he should. So that's another thing. He told my son that I worked as a dancer, which my son never knew. I wear normal clothes when I leave. I wear normal clothes when I come home and it's just the job. Like I, I have the most boring life outside of work. It's just the job, but he's wanting full custody. And um, it's just embarrassing. He called my neighbors and told them that I was a stripper. And he's called the police several times on me. Like when my son was acting up, I would call him for help. And he would, he would say, I would just send him to me to live. And then he would call the police because my son and I were having an altercation He ended up being diagnosed with a conduct disorder. And I don't know if anyone really knows what that entails for a parent, but it's very debilitating. Um, You have to take them to a lot of mental health appointments. They're oftentimes getting a lot of trouble at school and you have to come pick them up from school. So thank goodness for my job. Because when the school's calling you at 1030 to come pick up your child, like you would be fired. Um, And that was what was starting to happen was every week he was getting in trouble and I was talking to come pick him up. And because I worked night, it didn't impact my employment whatsoever. And then his appointments are like usually around two or three in the afternoon. Again, people who work a nine to five job, this would destroy their life financially. You wouldn't be able to maintain employment. Um, so I think that's another thing. Like he has no idea what it's like to adequately, adequately care for a child with a conduct disorder. And... um He's just, he's wanting full custody of, of our son. And I am assuming it's because not only would he not have to pay child support, but then he would receive child support. And um, so we had this most recent court hearing. It was 26 minutes long. It was so quick. And I want to talk about the lawyer. This is the third lawyer. And I had two really, really shitty lawyers. I didn't know anyone here. I didn't know any good lawyers. So what did I do? Go on Google and look for five-star reviews. Mm, Wrong move. Completely wrong move. So I had two shitty lawyers. And I finally found a superstar. And it was word of mouth. People who had had her as their attorney. And so finally, finally found a good lawyer. And um, we had our child support case. The judge is a female, which we have the same judge for child, child custody court as well, which is really nice. Um, we have the same judge for both issues. So she found him in contempt of court. Um, she purged him to pay $4,000. She asked her for four months to pay it. Um, my attorney said no. She, she spent so much money on her son. She needs the money now, not in four months. So she's like okay i'm ready to make my ruling and she's like i find you in contempt of court i'm ordering you to pay a purge of four thousand dollars to be paid in 30 days and when i find someone in contempt of court i'm always compelled to have them pay the other person's legal fees which i'm doing here today as well so my lawyer fees for that um because it had gone on for so long and they had to keep documenting on it ten thousand dollars
1: so as far as your son is concerned Uh, when it comes to his behavior, things really start to get worse. So walk us through this.
0: So I'm trying to think what else. So he's in school. He's getting drunk at school. He has a substance abuse problem. I'm taking him to the doctor. I'm taking him to therapy. Um, At one point, so I reach out to the dad. And our son's becoming violent now. He's punching holes in walls at home. It's kind of walking on eggshells around your child. Like, that's so weird. You know, if this were an abusive, man, I'd be out of there in a heartbeat. But this is my child, so the dad's like kind of prompted him to to be abusive to me. He he broke my phone one day, um, slammed it on the ground, and just really like he hates me. And he's tr- so him and the dad basically at this point are working together to either completely exhaust me so I just hand him over, or to make my life miserable. And the, the nice part about this for me is that. I had worked with mental health experts during this time who just said, this is parental alienation. Um, The dad is a narcissist. Have you ever heard of a narcissist? He says to me, and I'm like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me again. So I guess that's the thing is this guy always was one and I didn't realize it until I was with my ex-husband of what one was. So um, they helped guide me through it and they just told me, do not give up. And sometimes when kids have been alienated from you, they're really nasty to you. They're like nasty and you really feel like sending them. But I just love my son so much. Now I have one child. Um, So I'm just like, no, I can't do this. And this this guy's definitely not safe. So at this point, it's not even about me. That guy's not safe. And if I have to live in hell, then I guess that's the sacrifice we make.
1: So, you are doing your best to protect your child, and one day you have to endure your husband not giving your child back for six weeks, and the courts have to get involved. And, you know, your son's dad is doing his best to fully alienate you, and your son is really not doing well at this point. Uh, He has addiction issues, mental health issues, and you're trying to get him to rehab, but your ex fights you tooth and nail the whole entire way, and he will only let him go to an outpatient program, and these things and communications about this stuff uh, really will only help you going forward, even though you don't see it as that at the time. So, you know, from this point, what happens from here?
0: So he writes me this text is not in need of boarding school nor rehab, um, file a motion and leave me alone. And uh, I mean, I don't know what to do. So I get him in intensive outpatient therapy. It's not covered by insurance. And uh it is three days a week, three hours a day. And the only place it does is an hour away from home. So I pick him up early from school three days a week. Again, we go back to Think if you were a single parent with a kid who needed this type of treatment, how the fuck are you going to survive? So I get to school at like 30, pick them up. We drive an hour there. An hour there, an hour back, so that's two hours in drive time. Then I sit in the parking lot for three hours. So that's three days a week, five hours of my time is sitting in parking lots and driving to facilitate this intensive outpatient therapy, which I am very happy to do. But a lot of people aren't going to do that. I know the dad would never do that. He's just too selfish. He's just too selfish. So he never took him to a single one of these appointments. They went on for three months. And one of the things that she did that was very damaging to the relationship my son had with his psychologist is the dad didn't want to pay for any of the appointments. Um, Every time we had a family session, he would start off the session by saying, I can't afford this. This is like a car payment. So it was $150 a session. I mean, divide by two, that's not a lot of money, but if you're going three days a week, maybe it is a car payment, but Oh, well. Um, so the therapist had to tell him like, to stop talking about money in front of, in front of our son. She's like, you know, your son's sitting here right now and you're complaining about this expense. And do you not think this might make him feel like he's a burden? Like just, he totally lacked awareness of how he makes other people feel. Um, and he doesn't care once he's been told, he's still locked. Like he doesn't care. So that kept being the reoccurring theme, even though they told him to stop doing that. He only came to about three appointments. Um, and I'm trying to think what else he did. Also, the main thing he did was um, he called the psychologist one day, and I don't know what he was calling about, but he called him. And the psychologist didn't call him back. So when when you make a phone call to a psychologist and you want to have a conversation with them, it's not free. You have to make an appointment with them. And the dad wants everything to be free. So the psychologist didn't call him back. He's like, we'll talk about this when you come to session. Well, he never came to session. And basically what he did is he told our son, doctor, doctor doesn't care about you. All he cares about is getting paid. And so that just ruined my son. It just ruined him. He's like, I don't want to go there anymore. Um, So he sabotages the treatment. And this is now the second therapist. that The dad's done this. Like whenever he feels like they're coming, they're like seeing issues with dad, dad sabotages the treatment. So the therapist before that said dad was misogynistic and was very abusive towards me. And, And then he didn't want him going there either. So he ruined that relationship for a while go back to him and um none of us knew that his dad was giving him alcohol during this time so it's not working and we don't know why um so i send the wife says he doesn't get better he gets worse his addiction gets worse um because again this wasn't appropriate treatment when you have a severely addicted teen Intensive outpatient therapy might not be the appropriate treatment, but this is the only treatment that I could legally have done. And that's a really infuriating thing to happen when someone's educated in the area of, you know, medical things, and you can't even get your own kid help, and you know the proper treatment to get for them, and you're just, he just has me in these shackles. or the invisible shackles.
1: So he is essentially letting your child drink. He's brainwashing him while your son is in a very, very vulnerable vulnerable position. And then your son starts to get into more trouble. And your son got into the back of a car of a friend uh, at the public school that he was going to. And your son had no idea that the car was stolen when he got in. So what happens from here?
0: This is where the kind of, kind of a blessing in disguise, I suppose, um, you know, has a court date, juvenile judge, which I actually really like the juvenile judge. He's like a really nice grandpa, but you wouldn't want to like, you wouldn't want to like piss him off though. Like a nice grandpa, but you wouldn't want to piss him off. And he, he gives my son 30 hours of community service and six months probation, like with a curfew. That was it. And I'm like, oh no, no, no. I tell the probation officer, I'm like, he needs rehab. I've been trying to get this child in rehab for a year. So we end up having to come back to court. They have me take him for an evaluation. And when the evaluation comes back, um, we go back to court. And this is where I really learned about the alcohol. This is This was the changing moment for my son and the parental alienation. This is where it kind of changed for the better, I suppose. So while my son was waiting to go to court, He had stolen a neighbor's car, like took it on a joyride and brought it back, but didn't park it in the same spot. And he ended up not getting arrested. The neighbors, you know, the car wasn't wasn't injured or anything. The neighbors were like, you know, we're not going to press charges, but damn. And I want to say also the dad was letting our son drive. So he wasn't only just giving him alcohol. When he was 13, he was letting him operate a motor vehicle with no license on city streets. Now the dad was in the vehicle, but I did hire PIs and that's why I know that he did that which is also being used in this upcoming custody case. And letting your kids drink at 13, letting them drive vehicles. Like these are really grossly inappropriate behaviors. So now he's learned how to drive and now he's come back to me and stolen my neighbor's car and operated it beautifully. He never should have been able to get that car out of the parking. It was backed in between the driveway and their truck. He had to do a very strategic three point turn to get out of there. So he steals this car he has his next upcoming court case and the dad comes for, she didn't come to any of the other hearings, but he's going to come to this one. I have to say he finally consented to rehab a year later. He consented to rehab, signed consent. The place we sent him to because he was so delayed in getting care, he was so bad off the place we sent him to said they couldn't, they couldn't manage him. They're like, he needs a higher level of care. So it's kind of like, I want to say it's kind of like having a lump on your breast, and, and you wait a year to go to the doctor and now it's metastasized. So we can treat you, but it's going to be harder. That, that, substance abuse is no different than that. Mental illness is no different than that. The longer you wait, the harder it is to treat. And so that is exactly what happened. We send him to this place. He's discharged after seven days. They're like, we can't do this. He's, he's, he's too bad off. So they say he needs a higher level of care. So again, I reach out to the dad and I send him a couple recommendations. He ignores me. Then our son has his next court, court case, and he has now stolen this car. After he got out of the first rehab, he stole the car. Now we're going back to court. And the dad's like, you know what? If you can't get your fucking shit together, you can just go to fucking jail. That's what he told our son. He's like, I'm going to tell the judge that you stole that car. And, you know, my son hadn't been convicted of it. Hadn't even been arrested. The neighbors said, it's, you know, they're, not that it's fine, but they're like, we're not going to press charges. So the dad threatened him outside of the courtroom and I said if you do that I go do you see this backpack I have with me right now I go I know you so well you would hurt your own fucking child for fun I go in this backpack I have you letting this child drive with no fucking license and I have messages that are indicated that you've exposed him to alcohol at the age of 13 years old and that here's the letters from all the doctors recommending treatment and your little fucked up text saying file a motion and leave me alone there's no problem with him I go, don't you dare call that judge anything about this car. He needs help and healing. He doesn't need to go to fucking jail. And it shut him up. I'm telling you, Brandon, I don't go anywhere without that box of evidence. And those are just a few little morsels. Um, And that was the changing moment. And my son, that was the day he said, you were the one who gave me fucking alcohol for a year. And now you're trying to send me to jail because I took it too far. Um, So, yeah, that was the changing moment where the parental alienation stopped. Um, My son had picked out a place he wanted to go where I guess some of his um, peers had gone. So he picked out the place, and um, the judge ordered it. The only reason, the only reason that my son has gotten rehab is because of the juvenile court judge, because we still haven't been to family court. I filed a motion at the beginning of all of this. Still has not been heard by a judge.
1: So I guess in this time, how are you coping throughout all of this? And how is the relationship right now between you and your son?
0: Oh, the coping throughout all of this. I don't know. I view it as a war. People are like, oh, you need to go get a facial. You need to get... Do you stop in the middle of a war to get a facial? No, you do not. I am in a full-blown war. Um that is my coping. That's my coping. I sleep when I can, I take lots of naps. Um, but I just, my mind right now is on this I don't, I don't want my nails done. I don't want to go out with people. Um, I, I don't even talk to my mom or my sister anymore. They have not even visited my son in rehab. And that's another thing. Like, I don't think people view addiction as like an illness. It is. And so just no support. When my niece had cancer, we all lived at the hospital. You remember that. You were around for that. Um, I you had seen it on my social media. And it's like, now my son's sick. My niece is doing great, by the way. But my son's really sick. And none of these people measured up. And I'm like, oh, this is, I, I just stopped talking to them. Um, how I'm coping is it, just, I continue to fight. I continue to get through school. Um, because that's going to elevate my income so I can be a better provider to my son with or without the dad's help. And and just every day, my brain's spinning. Of, did I miss any any evidence? And just getting this, I have a, I have a shoebox. Now it's turned into like a, a big suitcase. Just obtaining evidence, that's my coping, is making sure I have a rock solid case and And the lawyer told me that when you have something like this happening, and I did ask her, based on all the evidence, is it okay that I keep this child from his dad until we get to court? I need some safety nets in place. She said, absolutely. She goes, no one ever really says this, but while you're waiting to get to court, as a mom or a dad, you have a, a human right to protect your child. And she's like, I would never tell you to be in contempt of this order. We didn't have all of this evidence. It's not just me saying he's he's an alcoholic, he's on marijuana to the point where it's cognitively impaired him. It's it's actual evidence and that's super, super important in any high conflict custody case is doctor's notes, evidence, screen grab. Just constantly documenting like it's your job, like you're getting paid to do it. Um and as far as my son, Uh, The place he's at really worked hard with reframing his thinking. And my job is no longer an issue to him. It was only an issue because his dad told him it was an issue. Um, So we've really rebuilt our relationship. And it's been really nice because the dad has had very limited access to brainwash him. And that's been the big issue here is the dad brainwashing him. And going forward, one of the things that I'm asking for is talking parents does have um, a phone capability of recorded phone calls. Both parties have to consent. But just there's no drug test for brainwashing. You know, it goes to dads and drinks or, or does marijuana, we can test for that. There's no test for brainwashing. Um, so figuring out how to combat that and prevent it in the future has been where I've been kind of focused on. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'm still in it. I'm hoping we have a good outcome. I'm confident that we will because of all the evidence and all the neglect and and giving our kid alcohol and letting them drive vehicles and going against medical expert recommendations. But I have not been well. I mean, this is just, when a narcissist can't hurt you, they go after your kid and that is where they're going to paralyze you. I know because it happened to me. And uh, that's where you hurt a parent if you go for their kid. And our son being healthy doesn't benefit him. Son being sick benefits him. And, um, and now our son is healthy and he wants nothing to do with his father. because he was the one who had to go to rehab for seven months and the dad, where was his consequence for what she did? And uh, it's been like a prison. And he gets one phone call a, a night and he gets to leave one day a week. And it, it is an institution. It's almost a part of ins- become institutionalized. And where's the dad in all of this? He barely comes to see him. I live at that facility. I'm there three days a week, if not more. Um, I know all the staff by name. And, and I told him, I'm like, I'm in this crazy car with you. And that was one of the things I told him, no matter what you do, I will always love you. And I will always be here for you. And um, when you're going through parental alienation, it's really important for your kid to know nothing they say or do to you is going to make you stop loving them. And that is what one of the experts at that behavioral health center had told me is you don't stop because if he goes to live there, he doesn't stand a chance.
1: Well, Layla, I really want to thank you for being here with me today. And I'm sorry that you are still going... Through all of this, you know, that there is no resolution right now. And, you know, telling your story today and continuing your story and the effects that have happened with your child um, is terrible, but it's going to help a lot of people understand, you know, the things that uh, your ex has tried to do, uh, you know, the ways that you were blindsided and you know the things that might be going on in the background and all of the work that you put into kind of figuring this out and uh you know your son is now you know seeing who you are in comparison to uh your ex and I'm happy that that step or at least the initial parts of that have have taken place as far as your relationship with him in, in the healing in eventually when it comes to, you know, the end of, of the court and everything. So just a really big thank you for, for being here and just being you and showing everything warts and all today. And I just really can't thank you enough for being here.
0: Thank you so much. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. I still listen to your podcast every Sunday. Um, it still helps me. It's been the one thing I've done since I left. My ex-husband was listening to your podcast and it still continues to help me. So thank you, Brandon. And I hope that I be offered some helpful tidbits for others going through it. And hopefully I will have a win and all this hard work and all this money, um, will not have been wasted.
1: Well, Layla, I really want to thank you for being here with us today. And if you want to be a guest like Layla was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And please do send it in the format that we asked for. And if you are someone that needs support, we at NarcissistApocalypse.com have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com... Top of the page, you'll see that there is a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. It is a wonderful group of people on there. You can share your experiences and make friends as well. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and every web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you are in. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and a wonderful organization. So if you need extra support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. And we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a new friend to the show, and is an organization called Shelter Movers, which you can reach at sheltermovers.com, and Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life, and they are currently just a Canadian company, but they're looking to be spreading into the United States. It's a volunteer organization and a donor-supported charitable organization as well, and what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence. It's an interesting part of the domestic violence escape process, and they help get you to safety. They get all of your things out of your home and set up storage for all of your belongings. And they can even do this for your pets and livestock as well. It's just a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or you just want to donate to them, please go to sheltermovers.com and check them out. And that is it for our show today. So for myself and Layla, we hope you have a good night.